A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Hero can be anyone, even a man doing something as simple and reassuring as putting a coat around a young boy's shoulders to let him know the world hadn't ended. Hey, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day. on the gig then. Remember, you wanted this. Welcome to Screen Perspectives, a podcast produced by the Pittsburgh Film Office to share how people build successful careers in the screen industry, be it film, TV, streaming, etc. Screen Perspectives was born out of many conversations with industry professionals, sometimes over dinner, sometimes over drinks, and a lot of times driving around looking at the wonderful diversity of locations in the southwestern Pennsylvania region. Thousands of people make their living in the film, TV, streaming business, which is nationally an over $28 billion a year industry. Locally, it is responsible for over $150 million in new money to the southwestern Pennsylvania region's economy. There really is no direct pathway to success in this industry. It's a lot of hard work, networking, and you have to account for a little bit of luck to be successful. The Pittsburgh Film Office is excited to share these amazing individuals' stories with you, so you can learn how they did it and determine your best path forward. Screen Perspectives is hosted by me, Don Kieser, director of the Pittsburgh Film Office, and the incredible Kevin Smith, screenwriter and screenwriting instructor at the University of Pittsburgh. Thank you for joining us. Our guest on today's podcast is the person who is widely regarded as the greatest director in the history of television, Don Misher. In the past 60 years, Don Misher has directed every major program that has aired on television. This includes Super Bowl halftime shows, to directing and producing Oscar and Emmy telecast, and a host of TV specials that range from the 1983 Motown 25, where Michael Jackson debuted as Moonwalk, to specials featuring the likes of Prince, Mikhail Baryshnikov, Muhammad Ali, and Taylor Swift, among many others. He also directed the inauguration of Barack Obama as president. He has directed more than 100 TV productions, winning 13 Primetime Emmy Awards and two Daytime Emmys for his work. He also has a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Directors Guild of America, a Peabody for Motown 25, and the Norman Lear Achievement Award from the Producers Guild of America. Don Misher has won more Emmy Awards, 10 total, than any other TV director in history. Don's memoir, 10 Seconds to Air, My Life in the Director's Chair, was published on November 14th from Unnamed Press and Rarebird. Check it out now. It's an incredible read. We are thrilled to welcome Don to our show today. You also touched on when you made decisions that may not have been your best decision in the book. So when you were offered the original Saturday Night Live by Lauren Michaels and you picked Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell instead. Oh Live from New York, San Diego, California, and Manila in the Philippine Islands. I think it really helps people to understand, though, that you made that choice and then still 
ended up successful back in LA redoing yeah. Laugh-It. That is business. true. I got to tell anybody who's listening to this, who wants to make a career in this business, failure is not always, in fact, most of the time, it's not a negative thing. It helps you. You learn something from failure and you have to take that and, and go with it. And, um, I took the wrong Howard Cosell. I took Saturday Night Live with Howard Cosell instead of Saturday Night Live with Lauren Michaels. <laughs> but at the time, Howard Cosell was a, a household name. That's still considered one of the 12 worst shows in the history of television. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. find it on youtube somewhere is it still out there oh, somewhere? It. yeah that's great right. I, I love that you said that that's yeah that's spectacular you know i was so damn depressed uh i said i had a chance i made the wrong choice i blew it and now my career is over and then i got a call from a guy on the west coast george slaughter who at that time was doing a program called laugh-in and he mm -hmm. said he offered me a job and I said, why did you call me? Because I've failed so miserably here. Uh, he said, because I knew you could handle anything. And he brought me out to California and then I started working in television out here, you know, so that wow. fa failure can work on your, you can learn from failure and you can get opportunities from failure. It's another little click in your development that you can use. It doesn't have to be one where you go into a corner and sit for the rest of your life facing the wall, you know? Okay. I, I'm going to run through a quick list and I want to ask you, you we're, here's some of the artists and, and I'm going to make a, a poor Isaiah and Jen pass out from this list real quick. Taylor Swift, Stevie Wonder, Springsteen, Prince, Cher, Garth Brooks, Sting, Rihanna, Bono, Bono uh, Beyonce, Britney Spears, James Taylor, Streisand, Justin Timberlake, Yo-Yo Ma, Elton John, Mary J. Blige. I'm not going to go through the whole list. I'm just going to run out of breath. That being said, it, you, your background as a musician, how much does that help you when you are putting a performance together besides the trust? your knowledge of music and your background as a musician, how much does that help you dealing with the top musicians on the planet? Very good question. Um, first of all, I would not call myself a musician. Now, <laughs> I did play a steel guitar in a country band in Texas, but I'm not sure, honestly, how much of a musician you have to be to do that. <laughs> but I did love music. And I knew how to read scores. And uh, like several times I got to do shoot symphonic orchestras. And what was great about it was I'm, I'm putting my shots on the actual score. So you know that at uh, bar 164, the piccolo does a little solo and you know it's gonna happen there. So when you're following in the score, there's no surprise. You cut at that point and it's going to be, you know, and so it helped me a lot. And, and music, um, music and underscores and all of that have more to do with the drama and effectiveness of these 
of these kinds of programs than anything. And you take a normal song, and then if you want to drive it home extra hard, you modulate, take the tempo down a little bit, and you've got people, you, you've gotten into their hearts, you know, and they're really hearing it and, and, and feeling it. We always let our wonderful producers ask a question too. So Jenny, you want to go first or you want Isaiah or one of you? I can go first. Hello. Hi, Jenny. My question, I calls back to the beginning of our conversation. I've been stuck on the imagery of you coming of age with television. And I just love that so much. I was actually hoping, could you go into, do you have any observations of the beginning of television when you were coming of age with it and now? whether it's worse, whether it's better, what maybe young filmmakers today can see in perspective of how things have changed and how things have developed. Well, you could write a book about that question. That's When it started off for me, there was one channel, Channel 4, NBC, and uh, it went on the air every day at like 5 p.m., and it would start with the national anthem. Mm -hmm. And when it went off at like 1130 at night, they'd play the national anthem. And other than that, they were just color bars. I was so excited about television. I would come home and turn it on and just watch the color bar, the test pattern. <laughs> just watch it. Knowing that in like 20 or 30 minutes, something's going to start on it. But it but it opened the world to me and it opened up, opened up the world to everybody else at that time. I mean, now, of course, it's the landscape is just so changed. And there's, back then, there was one channel, then there were three channels. For many years, there were just three channels. You had to get up from your seat to change the clicker. Um, and now, you know, my wife and I will lie in bed and we'll be looking at something on television with a <laughs> clicker in our hand. And we dare something to hold our interest for five minutes or bang, it's gone. You know, you know, so and there's a million choices. And he yeah. has high standards too. If you think right. about that, oh, the good, the good television now is unbelievably good. Yeah. There's a lot of junk on television, you know, um, and a lot of repetition and all that, but, but, the really good material now is top flight. And I don't know whether we're in a golden age of television, but I can tell you there's some wonderful things being done in the medium and people are learning from those things. They're learning how to treat people. We need more of that, of course, in the world at this point. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very happy again that I was able to make my life and my career, you know, in something that I loved like this. I mean, I loved it. It's amazing. Thank I don't know so if much. I answered your question, Jennifer. You did. I, I loved it anyway. So. Okay. <laughs> Isaiah, you got a question? Hey, how are you doing it? My question, or I just want to just say a list to you real quick. 15 Emmys, a star on the Hollywood Hall of Fame, uh, 10 Director Guilds of America Awards, a Lifetime Achievement Award. The list goes, just goes on and on. So my question is, out of all those awards you've accomplished, which award is like the most meaningful to you? And what did you, what did it teach you in the moment? 
And don't worry, I won't say anything to anybody. No, that's okay. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very proud of the awards I've won. Emmys, for example, are given to you by your peers, you know, which means a lot, the people that you're competing with. And, um, and you know, they're, they're valuable, they're nice to put on the shelf, but what's better than the awards are the memories of what you went through in creating these things, the challenges you faced, how you and your team had to pull together and get through it. And, you know, um, for those of us who work in this medium, you know, you can, you, you tend to focus on what went wrong. And uh, sometimes you can overfocus on that. The night that Ali lit the torch and we worked very, very hard to keep that a secret. There were only five of us who knew. Okay. After that, Jesse Normans was supposed to close the opening ceremonies in Atlanta with um, a song that was timed with pyro going off. And we had rehearsed it. We had a click track and all of that. Just before we went, we continued with that in the show, the Atlanta uh, Police Department canceled the pyro. And um, the show was a damn good show. And a moment, the moment of Ali shaking with the Parkinson's disease lighting, the, the torch was is still remembered and will always be remembered in Olympic history. What a moment. But because that last thing didn't work the way I wanted it to, um, I just was kind of bummed about it. And so I'm, it shows over, I'm walking across the field, everybody's cheering and yelling and celebrating and all the rest of it. But I clearly wasn't because my son, Charlie, who was about six years old, ran up to me and I picked him up and he looked me in the eye and said, daddy, what's wrong? You know, I wasn't cheering and wasn't celebrating. And I was bummed about th that last number with Jesse Norman and, you know, not having the pyro go. Yeah. Day, a few days later, of course, I realized I was overly focused on the one thing that didn't work. And the overall show received really good response. But that's happened to me several times where I tend to overreact to negative things. I, I know if you guys read the book, you mm -hmm. remember the uh, Democratic National Convention in 2004 mm -hmm. when I uh, didn't know it, but my tirade about the balloons getting stuck in the ceiling. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I'm up there with my assistant, Jason Ermacher. Uh, we have all these phones lined up. And like, honest to God, five seconds after I said that word, all the phones started to lit up. They didn't ring. They just lit. <laughs> me, I don't know what's going on, but all the morning shows want to talk to you tomorrow morning. You know? <laughs> and, um, you know, that's what, it's a roller coaster ride. You know, that's what it is. I, your father gave you a little camera, which I believe yeah. you still have. I have it. Yes. Hold on a minute. Let's show it. Yeah. 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 It's next to all those Emmys that are like the entire wall over there, probably. Yeah, I love this camera. This is. I started making films when I was like eight or nine years old. Yes. Look at it. Oh, wow. Hand crank right here. And, you know, the only way to zoom in was to screw a lens on it. But it, it did the job. And it like it, it, it inspired me to um to do that to make to make little movies and things like that i how do it's sitting right there on display in your office which it's for it touches my heart that it's there when you see that just as you know through life and you look at it what are some of the feelings and emotions that it stirs in you when you see it god it's um it was my fantasies were fulfilled through this little cheap Bell and Howell camera. And I got to, I, I recorded family trips with my mother uh, and my father and my brother and my sister. Um, a lot of things around the house. My mom died when I was 18 and mm -hmm. I used the camera a lot at that time. Um, so it's just, it's, um, it's like a looking glass for me. I get to look back into my life and there's a lot of things trapped in here. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's, it's emotional. And the fact that I still have it, my dad gave it to me and, um, I don't even think they make film for it anymore, you know, but oh. it was, um, it, it's, it's a lot for me. I mean, it's just a lot of emotion. It was, it was, I saw the world through that camera, oh. you know, it's amazing. And here it is all these years later. Yeah. It's, now it's I'm tech director guilty. Yeah. It's a whole different. <laughs> yeah. Let me finish up with, uh, I have one question for you for, I know you have to get going. Uh, what is an event you would love to produce or direct that you haven't done already? Oh, God. That's a very good question. Kevin's really good at that. <laughs> no, that's a very good question. What pops into my mind are things that I can't do. Uh, I mean, I'd love to climb Mount Everest and make a television show out of it. Maybe we'll make it a musical. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you get to the top, you can sing Ain't No Mountain High Enough.
<laughs> Back in Motown. There we go. <laughs> you know, I've, I've done pretty much everything that I would hope to do. Um, I've been blessed and, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's wonderful. That's well, wonderful. We so appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys very much. You've been listening to episode 13 of Screen Perspectives. Screen Perspectives is hosted by Don Keezer and Kevin Smith. Produced and engineered by Max Glider, Isaiah Stewart, and Jennifer Booker. Music by Isaiah Stewart. Special thanks to today's guest, Don Misher, the Pittsburgh Film Office, and to the University of Pittsburgh. Screen Perspectives is a production of the Pittsburgh Film Office.